Well, as we enter into this new year, God willing, I wanted to encourage you by reminding you that this gospel, which is the power of God, is still just that today. And what happened in that jail in Philippi and the transformation of this man's life is also what is happening today all around the world as sinners are being brought to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you tonight as we consider this marvelous account really of the grace of God breaking into a person's life. Now, just to set some context, Paul was perhaps the greatest missionary to ever live, preaching the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles, to many unreached people groups on a number of specific journeys. And three of those journeys are recorded in this book of Acts. And in the first journey, he traveled as far as what we now call Turkey. And there, by God's grace, the gospel was proclaimed. Sinners were saved, baptized, local churches were established. Now, this incident which takes place uh, that we're looking at this evening happened on the second missionary journey and at a place called Philippi which was in northern Greece and it was also the missionary journey which saw the gospel brought for the very first time in history to the continent of Europe before then there was no gospel there was no church in Europe there was only darkness and paganism superstition there was no knowledge of the true God no worship acceptable to God they did not know the gospel but the Lord had purpose for Paul to bring the gospel into Europe. And there was a, a time when he was in Turkey and he was unsure which direction he should take. And uh, we read of this a little bit earlier, uh, or it's a little bit earlier in the passage that we read, should I say. And uh, the Lord gave him a vision in a dream one night in which he saw a man from Macedonia, northern Greece, call to him with these words, verse 9 of the passage, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul saw it like this in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so it was a God-given vision. And Paul and his companion Silas, they crossed the sea from Turkey to northern Greece and made their way to Philippi, which was a Roman colony, a city. And in this passage, Acts 16, we see the power of the God in the gospel a number of different ways. And the scriptures here tell us in detail of at least three people in Philippi whose lives were deeply affected by the good news of Jesus Christ. And the first is Lydia. And uh, she was a merchant selling purple dyed cloth. And she was one of a devout number of people who would gather by the river over on the, the Sabbath in order to worship God. And on a certain occasion, Paul and Silas joined them and preached the word of God to them, and something very beautiful happened. The Lord opened her heart so that she heard and believed the gospel. It was not her own doing. It was the work of God in her life, the gracious, saving power of God. And friends, only God can open the human heart. It's true for your heart this night, and we pray that he would, if you don't know him, we pray that the Lord would open your heart so that you would hear and believe. And she was believed, she was baptized, her household with her, treating the apostles then with this great love and respect. And by the way, that's always a mark of a changed life and true conversion. There's a high regard for the preached word, 
a submission to the truth and a desire to obey the Lord, such as in baptism, and a completely different attitude to the people of God. She had been brought to know and love the Savior. Her life was never the same. And then the narrative continues, and we are brought to consider a second person who is impacted by the gospel, and it is this demon-possessed girl. The apostles continued to minister in the city, and on one occasion there was a young girl who we are told had this spirit of divination. She was demon-possessed. She was engulfed with a darkness, a, a true servant of the wicked one, and able in some way to have knowledge of future events. They would have called them soothsayers. And as Paul and Silas were going about the, the gospel work, this girl, inspired of the, the devil, if we can say that, called out to them as servants of the Most High God. Now, most people would have known nothing of Paul or his ministry. They didn't know him as a man of God or one of the greatest preachers to ever live, but this girl cried out. And Paul is literally, it says, annoyed in our text, but he was grieved in his spirit that this girl would say this every time she saw them, and he couldn't leave her in that condition. And so he cast out the evil spirit from her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and immediately she is delivered from this strange and unusual bondage to evil. But it meant, as the text tells us, that she lost her ability to tell the future. And she had been employed by certain ruthless men who had made much money from her evil gift, but now in their eyes, their business is ruined. And so they're furious, and they lay hands on Paul and Silas, and they they take them to the Roman magistrates. And because Philippi was a Roman colony, there are these magistrates, and if there was any type of disturbance, the magistrates would rule and take their sticks and beat the apparent troublemakers with these big clubs. And so Paul and Silas were subjected to this beating in this way, and they were then handed to the jailer to be taken to this local prison. Now, in this terrible affliction, we will meet the third person to be impacted by the gospel, and that is this jailer. And we're told that because the emphasis is that these men need to be kept securely, that the jailer puts them in the inner prison, the most secure part for the worst offenders, and they were put in stocks and chains by this jailer. Now, just so that you're clear, these stocks, you know, are not the, the kind of ones that you see at, you know, Alden Towers and things like that. Now, these were awful things. They were the kind that would place the feet as far wide as possible so that you were in a, a stress position of relentless pain and agony, held in that position for hours and days and weeks. And we're told that Paul and Silas, even in that condition, sang praises to God. They were worshiping the Lord in the darkness. That's the wonder of the gospel. And never had such a sound been heard in Philippi before in all its history, and certainly not in that prison. The praises of the redeemed of the Lord. And they were singing. It's a very wonderful thing. And at that very time, as Paul and Silas were there, the other believers were praying for God to intervene. And God, in his kindness, heard and answered and were told that this great earthquake, it's a supernatural event, shakes the whole place to the extent that the doors are opened and all the chains are loosed and the prisoners are free. But in this wonderful happening, it seemed at first 
to be a total disaster for this jailer. And really, that's my first point that I want you to see tonight. What happens when trouble comes? And my dear friends, see here how incapable people are to face the problems of life on their own. You know, so many people, they like to to laugh at people like us at believers. You know, they, they ridicule the Bible. They have no time for the Lord Jesus Christ. They find it ludicrous that we would, you know, believe in something that we've been rejoicing in recently, the virgin birth or the physical resurrection of Jesus or his miracles. But you think for a moment on this man, this jailer, and it is an illustration here of the utter incapability of man to face the problems of life in his own strength. You say, what do you mean? Well, when this earthquake happened, this man was probably, you know, before that confident that all was well. You know, all the the prisoners, they were secure. He'd done his job. You know, the most valuable prisoners, they were in the inner prison. All was sorted out. But then this earthquake happens. And he runs to see what is going on. And it's a disaster. All of the prisoners are free. They're on the loose. It was chaos. Everything is falling apart. And notice that when he sees the state of things and the prisoners there loose, Nothing he could do. What is his reaction? He takes out his short sword and he's ready to commit suicide. And it's only Paul's intervention in verse 28 when he says, do yourself no harm, we are all here, which is quite incredible, by the way. It was only that intervention that stayed his hand and the man is shaken to a new state of mind and soul. But initially, this man was totally incapable of facing the problems that suddenly came to him. You know, it was likely that he was a retired soldier, or at least a a hardened man who'd seen action in his time. But as the chaos descends, he doesn't know how to handle it. He was faced with the loss of his reputation, the loss of employment, and no doubt the loss of his life. The Roman law said that if a prison officer lost a prisoner, his own life would be forfeit for the one allowed to escape. This man, he'd not just potentially lost one, it seemed he'd lost a a whole prison. He couldn't handle it. You know, that is typical of the world. Rough and tough, mockers of God, no time for spiritual things, but they cannot face the real problems of life. And this man saw no option but to end things himself as he saw it. And it certainly shows that the natural man, the man without God, has no preparation for trouble when it comes. How different that is from the Lord's people. You know, they live day by day aware that this life is full of trouble. It will come. But knowing that God is with them to hold them and sustain them and keep them. And this man had had no interest in preparing for such things. He had no idea how to. He didn't know where to turn. And you know, without God in your life, you will never be prepared for the trials and troubles that are certain to come at some stage. Without God, you cannot face up to these emergencies. And sure, you know, people try to stoically continue. But there's no lasting peace. There's no real hope. There may be an appearance of of holding things together on the outside, but it only masks the turmoil within. I wonder if you've ever reckoned with that. 
that life is full of trouble and no one is exempt. And where are you going to turn? What hope do you have? How then are you going to be prepared to, to face these things when they come? To face the worst trouble of all when it comes, death and then the judgment. And this passage shows so clearly that without God and without Christ, without the promises of God, without faith in the Lord, nobody, no matter how tough and rough and courageous they appear to be, is capable of facing these things. And in that moment when all seemed to be falling apart, this man spirals into despair. He couldn't contemplate the future. But God in his goodness had greater purposes. And he was working something of eternal good for this man. You see, this earthquake was not simply a way of freeing Paul and Silas, but making this man face death, but with a saving purpose. It was a way in which God was bringing this man into a place of blessing. Maybe you've heard the expression, blessing in disguise. Well, certainly that was this situation. The earthquake came and suddenly everything changed. Everything was literally shaken up. You know, it can be like that in the life of a sinner. In a moment, everything that you have been living for can be lost. But for this man, God intended that the chaos be the means of doing his soul good. And what do we see? How does this happen? Well, I want you to see that when the trouble came, he is then awakened to greater things. And he is awakened to the gospel. And you say, well, in what way? Well, it woke him up. It shook his mind and heart. Notice that the man had previously no interest in the gospel. He didn't have any desire really to speak with the apostle Paul as he put him into the stocks. You know, he, he'd gone for his rest that night, just like every other night. He'd done his job. He was confident in his ability. It was all under control. But then God intervened and you know, awaken the man to realize things that he had never thought of before. As one preacher explains, there were two earthquakes that took place in the prison that night. One was the physical earthquake which engulfed the prison. The other was a spiritual earthquake which occurred in the jailer's own soul. The earthquake which shattered all his former illusions and all his worldly mindedness. You know, the Lord often works like that. He brings people to realize their desperate need of his mercy. And you know, there are many accounts in the lives of God's people through the years where some incident has occurred and it has brought them up to consider the bigger questions, the eternal matters. As reading recently of the example of a believer from the Middle Ages called Peter Waldo, and he became the leader of a movement called the Waldensians and they were around in Switzerland and Italy and France. But it was interesting. How did this man come to know the Lord? Well, he was a very wealthy man. He had no interest in Christ. He was a, a man of society. He was going on in life. But then he was deeply shaken. And one day he was in the company of some other worldly men like himself. And in the course of their conversation, one of these men began to mock God and curse God, and, and blaspheme, and abuse the name of the Almighty, brazenly so. And that a man immediately dropped down dead. And Waldo was, he was taken aback. He was in shock and distress. He, he realized it, it could have been any one of them, and God worked through that to impress upon him his own sin and his great need of a Savior. 
You see, this is what happens with the Philippian jailer. God deals with him in the midst of this earthquake and he is awakened that there is something more. And in the purposes and providence of God, God has put two of his messengers right there for him. It's just incredible. You know, the jailer, he'd never read the Bible. He'd never really heard the name of Jesus Christ. But look at what he does, verse 29. He called for a light, he ran in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. You know, the original language is even more striking. It says, he threw himself on the floor before them, and he cries out with a loud voice, what must I do to be saved? Now, how did he know? You know, maybe they've been preaching in the stocks. Maybe it was in the, the praises they were singing. You know, all those things. But God was dealing with this man. And he knew he needed to be saved. He knew that he needed something only this Jesus, this gospel, could give him. And see the remarkable transformation. See his humility. He's on his knees before two prisoners. You know, that hadn't been his attitude earlier when he sort of locked them up and slammed the door shut. But now all his pride, all his self-sufficiency had been stripped away. He had nothing in his hands, as it were. His whole world had been shattered. And God had broken in in this major event. And you say, well, what had he been brought to see? Well, he'd been brought to see that there is a God. You know, he, he came to feel and to know that there was a God in heaven and only he could time this earthquake so perfectly that there was a, a greater thing in this. You know, perhaps you're here and you're not a believer. But let me ask you, do you realize that there is a God? Do you understand that this God is sovereign and controlling all events, both great and small, overruling, accomplishing his purposes? This man was brought to see that. He was brought to see that there is a God. And he was also brought to see that there is such a thing as salvation. He came to realize that he had an eternal soul that could be saved or lost. And the Lord used this great event to confront this man with the bigger issues of life. You know, maybe that is a lesson that some people here need to know. That you have an immortal soul. And that your soul is not saved this night. You know, it is not enough to just be here. It's not enough just to know something about the gospel. You must be brought to see your own personal need of salvation. That you need Jesus Christ for yourself. I wonder if you've realized that. Have you seen it? Do you know what this man was brought to know? And also he was brought to see that there were believers around him. He was brought to see that Paul and Silas weren't ordinary men, but they were servants of the living God. And they had this great message of life and salvation in Christ. And his attitude changed. His regard for them was different. And the jailer was awakened and shaken to the depths of his being. And he was convicted in his soul to realize his need of grace. And his need of God, his need of Christ. He didn't understand everything. But there was enough for him to throw himself before Paul and Silas and to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Show me, please. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed to God for such light? 
You know, have you ever gone to the Lord's people, any of the Lord's people, and asked, you know, what must I do to be saved? How can I become a Christian? You know, that's not just for Bible times. You know, these things happen even today, all over the world, even this night. There are those who have been brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I heard an older preacher give the following illustration from his old ministry. He was in a friend's house in Glasgow. And uh, he was speaking with a man who happened to be there. And during the conversation, he said to this man very directly, he said, you need to be born again. And uh, the conversation then quickly moved on and went on. And time passed, but the man eventually came to hear this, this preacher. And, uh, but after the service, they, they missed each other to speak to. And, you know, the preacher didn't think any more of it. But then a letter dropped through the door. And it said that the conversation that had been had in that friend's house led to this man becoming a Christian. And he explained in the letter what had happened. He said, one Monday morning, he said, I went into the office as usual in Glasgow and I sat down at my desk and everything else was overtaken by my outrage at what you had said to me. He said, I felt you had no business telling me that I needed to be born again, whatever that meant. He said, I just felt it wasn't your place. I was deeply offended. But then he said, as I sat at the desk, after a while I thought, well, I know enough of that man to know that he must have, have meant well for me and said it for my good. And so knowing the type of man that you are, I, I began to think on it. So I decided to act upon it and get it clear in my mind. And right there at my desk, I prayed to God and I said to him, God, if this is true, please show me. And he said, in that very moment, it was as if heaven opened and I knew this was true. And I sought the Lord with all my heart and by his grace, I was brought to trust in Jesus. Now, it's not something confined to the pages of the Bible. This gospel is the power of God unto salvation today. It is real. And it happens even today, and would to God that it would take hold of you this night if you don't know the Lord Jesus. You know, what a way to begin this new year by trusting in Jesus and knowing that your sins are forgiven. But there must come a point in which you say to God and to his people, oh, what must I do? But you see, your heart needs to be humbled for that. And God had profoundly humbled this jailer's heart. You know, and if you're still here tonight and you're looking to yourself and chasing the pleasures of your own life and, and looking to this world as, as so many out there are doing this night, you'll never ask that question. But God can take strong measures in order to break our pride and to bring us to the point in which we have been prepared to humble ourselves and to cry out, Lord, what must I do? And then notice that things go on and there is this message that says, you know, God had been working and preparing this man for salvation. He had been brought to this condition of conviction, but now he needs to hear. And he needs to hear of Christ. And he needs to hear of the saving work. He, he'd never heard it. And so verse 31 to 32, we have this summary. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. And it says that they, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, and to all who are in his house. 
You know, they tell him and his family about the Savior. They explain the gospel, who Jesus is, why he had to come and die upon the cross, his glorious resurrection. He needed to hear. And he's awakened and he's being drawn to Christ and he's given the gifts of repentance and faith to believe as he hears the gospel. And that wonderful summary, believe and be saved. By God's grace, this man believes. He takes Paul and Silas to his house that very moment and he tends their wounds and he cares for them and all the while continues to hear of this wonderful Savior as does his family. And they believe and they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the other concerns about the prison, all the other concerns about the situation, they're set aside because at that moment there was nothing as important as getting right with God. You know, this gospel really is the power of God to transform. You know, just imagine the scene. You know, as Christ is, is proclaimed and applied to this man and to his family. You know, how we're all born sinners, how sin came into the world through Adam and how God sent his own dear son into the world to shed his blood and die in the place of his people to take the punishment they deserve. And the one who, who rose again in triumph over death and hell. And that those who believe in him will be saved. And now this Jesus is at the right hand of God in glory. Making intercession for his people. And one day he's going to come again. And there's this certain hope and there's, there's glory ahead. And you know you have to turn from sin and believe this saviour. He's your only hope. There's no other way. You know, you can hear them saying, you know, it's a, a marvellous gift of grace and it's there before you. You can't be saved by any of the, the false Roman or Greek idols. They can't help you. Christ alone can save you. And what a beautiful thing it is when a person is converted. And no man-made religion or movement or philosophy in the world can change a person's life like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the glorious gospel of the blessed God makes such a change. You know, and as we finish, just see some of the differences. Look at verse 32. Now he eagerly listens to the word of God. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. He'd never have listened to the word of the Lord the night before, would he? He would have regarded it with contempt, you know, to have anyone preach to him. But now... He wants to hear the word, to be under the word, and to listen. That's what the gospel does. I wonder if that's true of you. Are you eager to listen to the truth of God, or are you secretly arguing against everything that the Bible says in your sort of inner being, in your imagination, all those things? Or do you want to hear? And he wants his family to be blessed by the gospel. That's a, a sure sign of life. There is a longing that others come to know the Savior as well. And first and foremost, he wants his family to know the Lord. You know, some of you, you've got such heart concern for those in your family who don't know the Savior. And it's your heart that you desperately desire for them to know Jesus. That's the way it is for a believer. We want them to know this blessing too. It was the way for this jailer. And also he shows profound repentance for his former conduct. You know, don't miss the details. Here is the jailer and he is washing the prisoner's stripes with water. 
It is a, a demonstration of repentance and, and no doubt tears would have been shed as he, he saw the awful wounds on the back of the apostles which they had suffered for no reason except that they loved and proclaimed Jesus Christ. You know, the servants of God must always suffer in this world and how he must have felt shame for the way that he had treated them. But now there is this change and he cares for them. And verse 33, he also wants to publicly profess Christ. You know, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. You know, he and all is immediately. You know, it's not difficult. They professed faith. They wanted to make the open declaration of Christ. They didn't hide away under a canopy of secrecy. He wanted the world to know he was Christ's man now. Should that not be the same for all of us? You know, are we here tonight and we believe in the Savior, but we do so in secret? You know, are we ashamed of Christ, ashamed of acknowledging the Son of God to be the Savior of the world? Not this man and not his household. You know, the Bible says if we deny Christ, he will deny us also. It's a sobering thought. But if we are not ashamed of him, if we acknowledge him in this world, he will not be ashamed of us. This family, they publicly profess the Lord. And they show hospitality to the Lord's people. He welcomes the apostles into his home. You know, it wouldn't have been an easy thing. You know, there would have been scrutiny and people would have seen him embracing these prisoners and, and bringing them into his home. That's a lovely thing. And nothing makes people so hospitable as when they come to know and love the Lord Jesus. It opens their homes and their hearts and their resources and their whole lives to do good to others to the glory of God. And verse 34, he rejoices in the grace of God. You know, having believed, he rejoiced having believed in God. You know, tonight, there is going to be so much forced and false rejoicing. And so many people trying to find happiness and no doubt aided by alcohol and all manner of other things. People are longing for that joy, but they'll never find the real thing until they come to know the Lord Jesus. Real joy flows into the heart, the unspeakable joy of Christ. You can't fake that. And this man knew it. He rejoiced in the Lord, and so should we. And he became the head now of a believing family. He rejoiced with his family. And now the household will be ordered according to the biblical pattern. You know, prayer will be offered before meals. Christ will be honored in family worship. He would lead his family in gospel ways and press upon them the claims of God. Meeting together with the Lord's people. Everything will be different. What a glorious conversion this man had. And in one evening, God broke into his life and saved him, and transformed him and his family. And at the close of this year, one of my great hopes is in the fact that God can still do such wonders. And that is a comfort as we enter 2024. You know, we might look at our present state and seem in decline. We might look at the people around us and say, oh, there's no hope for them. We might see our society in ruins. But God can change all of that in one night, just like he did for this jailer. My friends, be encouraged. 
encouraged in these things. There can be a great spiritual earthquake. Lives can be changed. Your life could be changed if you would, by God's grace, come to the Savior. And so I ask you directly, will you not come to the Lord Jesus Christ this night? Will you not believe? Believe and be saved. It is my prayer that there would be many Philippian jailers in Penzance yet who will encounter this wonderful salvation, this amazing grace which is still at work today, who come with nothing in their hands but simply clinging to the cross of the Saviour. You know, the gospel is the power of God. It was then, it is now, and may we see it more and more and all to his glory. Amen.